Chapter Seventeen of Fame and Fortune. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry Eads. Fame and Fortune, or the Progress of Richard Hunter, by Horatio Alger. Chapter Seventeen. Dick's Acquittal. After his interview with Mr. Murdoch and Henry Fosdick, Dick felt considerably relieved. He not only saw that his friends were convinced of his innocence, but, through Tim Ryan's testimony, he saw that there was a reasonable chance of getting clear. He had begun to set a high value on respectability, and he felt that now he had a character to sustain. The night wore away at last. The pallet on which he lay was rather hard, but Dick had so often slept in places less comfortable that he cared little for that. When he woke up, he did not at first remember where he was, but he very soon recalled the circumstances, and that his trial was close at hand. "'I hope Mr. Murdoch won't oversleep himself,' thought our hero. "'If he does, it'll be a gone case with me.' At an early hour the attendant of the police station went the rounds, and Dick was informed that he was wanted. Brief space was given for the arrangement of the toilet. In fact, those who avail themselves of the free lodgings provided at the station-house rarely pay very great attention to their dress or personal appearance. Dick, however, had a comb in his pocket and carefully combed his hair. He also brushed off his coat as well as he could. He also critically inspected his shoes, not forgetting his old professional habits. "'I wish I had a brush and some blackin,' he said to himself. "'My shoes would look all the better for a good shine.' But time was up and under the escort of a policeman, Dick was conveyed to the tombs. Probably all my readers have heard of this building. It is a large stone building, with massive columns, broad on the ground, but low. It is not only used for a prison, but there are two rooms on the first floor used for the holding of courts. Into the larger one of these Dick was carried. He looked around him anxiously, and to his great joy perceived that not only Mr. Murdoch was on hand, but honest Tim Ryan, whose testimony was so important to his defense. Dick was taken forward to the place provided for those awaiting trial, and was obliged to await his turn. One or two cases, about which there was no doubt, including the colored woman arrested for drunkenness, were summarily disposed of, and the next case was called. The policeman who had arrested Dick presented himself with our hero. Dick was so neatly dressed, and looked so modest and self-possessed, that the judge surveyed him with some surprise. "'What is this lad charged with?' he demanded. "'With taking a wallet from a gentleman's pocket,' said the policeman. "'Did you arrest him?' "'I did.' "'Did you take him in the act?' "'No, I did not see him take it.' "'What have you to say, prisoner? Are you guilty or not guilty?' said the judge, turning to Dick. "'Not guilty,' said Dick quietly. "'State why you made the arrest,' said the judge. "'I saw him with the wallet in his hand.' "'Is the gentleman who had his pocket picked present?' "'He is. Summon him.' The red-faced man came forward and gave his testimony. He stated that he was standing on the sidewalk when he felt a hand thrust into his pocket and forcibly withdrawn. He immediately felt for his wallet and found it gone. Turning, he saw a boy running and immediately gave chase. "'Was the boy you saw running the prisoner?' "'I suppose it was.' "'You suppose? Don't you know?' "'Of course it was.' or he would not have been found with the wallet in his hand. But you cannot identify him from personal observation. The red-faced man admitted with some reluctance that his eyesight was very poor, 
and he did not catch sight of the boy till he was too far off to be identified. "'This is not so clear as it might be,' said the judge. "'Still, appearances are against the prisoner, and as the wallet was found in his possession, he must be found guilty, unless that fact can be satisfactorily explained.' "'I have a witness who can explain it,' said Dick. "'Where is he?' Tim Ryan, who understood that his evidence was now wanted, came forward. After being sworn, the judge asked, "'What is your name?' "'Tim Ryan, sir.' "'Where do you live?' "'In Mulberry Street. Tell what you know of this case.' "'I was standing in Chatham Street, when I saw the old gentleman with the red face—' Here the prosecutor scowled at Tim, not relishing the description which was given of him. "'Standing at the corner of Pearl Street. A boy came up, and put his hand into his pocket, and then ran away as fast as his legs could carry him, with the wallet in his hand. "'Who was this boy? Do you know him?' "'Yes, sir.' tell his name. It was Mickey McGuire, said Tim reluctantly. And who is Mickey McGuire? He blacks boots. Then if this Mickey McGuire took the wallet, how happened it that it was found in this boy's possession? I can tell that, said Tim. I ran after Mickey to see if he'd get off with the wallet. He hadn't gone but a little way when I saw him slip it into Dick's pocket. I suppose you mean by Dick, the prisoner at the bar. Yes, sir. And what became of this Mickey? He stopped running after he got rid of the pocketbook, and a minute after, up came the cop, and took Dick. Why didn't you come forward and explain the mistake? I was afraid Mickey'd beat me. Do you know this Mickey McGuire? said the judge, turning to the officer. I do. What is his reputation? Bad. He's been at the island three or four times already. Did you see him anywhere about when you made the arrest? I did. Do you know this boy who has just testified? Yes. He is a good boy. The case seems a clear one. The prisoner is discharged from custody. Arrest Mickey McGuire on the same charge as early as possible. The next case was called, and Dick was free. Mr. Murdoch came forward and took him by the hand, which he shook heartily. I congratulate you on your acquittal, he said. I feel better than I did, said Dick. Tim, you're a good fellow, he said, clasping Tim's hand. I wouldn't have got off if it hadn't been for you. I ought to do that much for you, Dick when you've been so kind to me. How are you getting along now, Tim? Pretty well. Mother's got so she can work and we're doing well. When she was sick, it was pretty hard. Here's something to help you along, said Dick, and he drew a bill from his pocket. Five dollars, said Tim in surprise. You can buy some new clothes, Tim. I ought not to take so much as that, Dick. It's all right, Tim. There's some more where that comes from. They were in Center Street by this time. Fosdick came up hurriedly. "'Have you got off, Dick?' he asked eagerly. "'Yes, Fosdick. There's no chance of my being entertained at the expense of the city. "'I didn't expect the trial was coming off so early. Tell me all about it.' "'What did they say at the house at my being away?' asked Dick. "'Miss Peyton inquired particularly after you. "'I said as you directed me that you were detained by important business. "'What did she say then?' "'Dick was so particular in his inquiries, "'fearing lest any suspicion should have been formed of the real cause which had detained him. There was no reason for it, but it had always been a matter of pride with him in his vagabond days that he had never been arrested on any charge, and it troubled him that he should even have been suspected of theft. "'You were fishing for compliments, Dick,' said Fosdick. "'How do you make that out?' "'You want to know what Miss Peyton said. I believe you are getting interested in her.' "'When I am, just send me to a lunatic asylum,' said Dick. "'I am afraid you are getting sarcastic, Dick. However, not to keep you in suspense.' 
Miss Peyton said that you were one of the wittiest young men she knew of, and you were quite the life of the house. I suppose I ought to blush, said Dick, but I'm a prey to hunger right now, and it's too much of an effort. I'll excuse you this time, said Fosdick. As to the hunger, that's easily remedied. We shall get home to breakfast, and be in good time, too. Fosdick was right. They were the first to seat themselves at the table. Mr. Clifton came in directly afterwards. Dick felt a momentary embarrassment. What would he say, thought our hero, if he knew where I passed the night? Good morning, Hunter, said Clifton. You didn't favor us with your presence at dinner last evening. No, said Dick. I was absent on very important business. Dining with your friend the mayor, probably. Well, no, not exactly, said Dick. But I had some business with the city government. It seems to me that you're getting to be quite an important character. Thank you, said Dick. I am glad to find that genius is sometimes appreciated. Here Miss Peyton entered. Welcome, Mr. Hunter, she said. We missed you last evening. I hope it didn't affect your appetite much, said Dick. But it did. I appealed to Mr. Fosdick whether I ate anything to speak of. I thought Miss Peyton had a better appetite than usual, said Fosdick. That is too bad of you, Mr. Fosdick, said Miss Peyton. I'm sure I didn't eat more than my canary bird. Just the way it affected me, said Dick. It always improves my appetite to see you eat, Miss Peyton. Miss Peyton looked as if she hardly knew whether to understand this remark as complimentary or otherwise. That evening, at the dinner-table, Clifton drew a copy of the Express from his pocket and said, By Jove, Hunter, here's a capital joke on you. I'll read it. A boy named Richard Hunter was charged with picking a pocket on Chanham Street, but it appearing that the theft was committed by another party, he was released from custody. Dick's heart beat a little quicker while this was being read, but he maintained his self-possession. Of course, said he, that was the important business that detained me, but I hope you won't mention it for the sake of my family. I'd make the young rascal change his name, if I were you, said Clifton, if he's going to get into the police record. I think I shall, said Dick, or maybe I'll change my own. You couldn't mention a highly respectable name that I could take, could you? Clifton is the most respectable name I know of, said the young gentleman owning that name. If you'll make me your heir, perhaps I'll adopt it. I'll divide my debts with you, and give you the biggest half, said Clifton. It is unnecessary to pursue the conversation. Dick found to his satisfaction that no one at the table suspected that he was the Richard Hunter referred to in the Express. End of chapter 17